Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, we are going to New Mexico to speak with Hope Ferdosian. Dr. Hope is a physician, author, and co-founder and president of Phoenix Zones Initiative, also known as BZI. So, Dr. Hope, welcome to the RV. Thank you, Lucia. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you on the RV. Yes, I'm super happy to be visiting New Mexico. It's my first time here. You've traveled all over the world for work. What has been your favorite place so far and where would you like to go that you haven't been to yet? Oh, that's such a great question. And thank you for asking. Well, one of my favorite places to be in the world, maybe it's a tie. One of my favorite places to be in the world is Micronesia, which is in the South Pacific. And it's just wonderful. I love being underwater there because you can see for a hundred feet or more. Um, and just learn and watch the animals underwater. That's one of my favorite places to be. I also love the people there. Um, I've been able to do some medical work, some public health work in the Federated States of Micronesia in the islands of Yap and Koshrai, and that was just um, really fulfilling. I think maybe one of my other favorite places to be on the on the planet is um, in anywhere in Kenya. <laughs> Kenya is one of my favorite countries, um, and I've had the opportunity to work in Kenya uh, a number of different times with my colleagues there on human rights issues, medical issues, public health issues, animal protection issues. And it's just such a wonderful community of professionals and colleagues there. Um, and of course, the the physical environment is so beautiful. Um, so many animals um, of diverse species living uh, in that country. Those are probably two of my favorite places. It's really hard to choose. It's hard to choose. I think it's just beautiful to be in the middle of the ocean, in an yeah. island, and experiencing different culture, food. And Kenya is on my bucket list. You should go. I will. I will. And I'll let you know. Thank you. 
So you knew you wanted to be a doctor at quite a young age. What made you want to become one? That's a great question. Um, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor sometime around the age of nine. And um, I grew up in a rural Oklahoma on a small farm. And there my parents taught me about what other children were experiencing around the world. And I learned about human rights violations quite early in life. My father had come from Iran. He had immigrated to the United States. And um, later on, he and my mom helped his extended family come to the U.S. as refugees. They were politically uh, persecuted because of their religious backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so learning about what was happening to other children around the world, there in Iran and other places um, across the globe, I became very interested in human rights. And out of that grew a desire to help in some way. And I thought I could probably help as a doctor. I was very naive, but, um, but you know, that really, that really became one of my dreams from a really young age because of those experiences. Yeah. And many kids aspire to become a physician, but it requires a strong passion, extensive dedication. Um, yeah, it does. And I think one of the things that came, that kept me going um, was that I knew that I could use it in a lot of different ways. I knew I could use medicine and being a physician, being a medical doctor in a lot of different ways, of course, to provide care for patients, which I've been fortunate to do here in the U.S., um, in a lot of different places in the U.S., in urban areas and rural areas, and also to provide care for patients uh, around the globe. And so, you know, that's one way that, you know, I've been able to um, be of of help as a physician. But another way is that being a doctor also gives you a platform sometimes to advocate for certain issues, including human rights issues. Um, but, you know, like, so I mentioned I grew up on a small farm. I, you know, grew up around animals um, who I loved and learned from. And like a lot of children who grow up around animals, I also became concerned about how animals are treated in society, just, just like I was concerned about other children, other people, um, and how they were treated in society. And by the time I reached medical school, I began to seriously think about the connections between how we treat people and how we treat animals. And, you know, throughout my career in medicine, I was able to work in a lot of different areas. I worked in what I sometimes refer to as silos, um, in medicine, in public health, in ethics, in human rights, in animal rights and protection. And a lot of the time I felt like I was in different worlds, one world here, another world here. And all of the organizations I was working with were doing really important work. But, you know, I felt like there was a real need to work at the nexus of where our treatment of other people and other animals meets. And as an internal medicine and a preventive medicine and public health physician, I was also very interested at getting at the roots of problems, at prevention of problems. 
for example, violence, um, violence against people and animals, but also bigger problems. For example, the connections um, between how we treat animals and where whether or not we're susceptible to infectious diseases um, that um, we might that might jump from animals to humans. So that really kept me going, um, and I knew that I could use medicine as a as a way to inform others, to work with others, you know, to help identify solutions. And, and so I'm really grateful, you know, what smart, what started out as a really uh, naive dream as a child, really, you know, later on opened so many doors for me um, to be able to do the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I, I dreamed about as a, as a kid. That's priceless. And Dr. Hope, it deeply saddens me to witness the mistreatment of animals who are often viewed solely as a means of, let's say, consumption. And I believe we should adopt a more compassionate and respectful perspective towards them. And I see that you are very passionate about ethics both for human rights as well as the treatment of animals, which brings us to your nonprofit organization, is Phoenix Zones Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit more about this organization? Lucia, thank you so much for asking. Phoenix Zones Initiative, or what we sometimes refer to as PZI is a global nonprofit that uses medical and public health expertise to solve problems for people, animals, and the planet. And my partner and I co-founded PZI after working around the globe in medicine, in public health and human rights and animal protection. And around the globe, we, we were affected as you, as you are. Um, we witnessed how certain policies, certain industries have actually driven the exploitation of some of the most vulnerable populations, human and non-human populations around the globe, including, you know, problems, global problems like climate change and hunger and chronic diseases and infectious diseases, even forced migration and conflict and war. And, but at the same time, even as we were witnessing so much suffering, we also saw the power of resilience and how people and animals, if they're given a chance, can rise up in, in healthy environments and environments that provide for their needs. Um, and so we launched PZI to foster healthier communities, a healthier world and more resilience. Um, and the name of the organization comes from a book that I wrote called Phoenix Zones, where strength is born and resilience lives. And Phoenix Zones are simply places that recognize and advance the rights, health, and well-being of people and animals, allowing them to, allowing individuals, allowing families, allowing communities, allowing society to thrive. And Phoenix Zones foster what is known in some, some medical circles as the phoenix effect. Like the phoenix who rises from the ashes, um, humans and other animals can demonstrate incredible resilience 
if they're if they're given the chance. Uh, but ultimately, our capacity for resilience depends on whether or not our liberty and sovereignty is respected, whether or not we have compassion and tolerance for each other, whether or not there's justice, whether or not we treat each individual, whether they're human or non-human with dignity. And that's ultimately what defines Phoenix Zones. And so we thought, okay, we've been able to witness these Phoenix Zones in different places around the globe. How about if we start an organization that can create a platform you know, to create more Phoenix Zones and to work with other individuals and organizations who care about these interconnections the way that we do and foster a better society, ultimately a society that, you know, provides an opportunity for us to all rise up as, as Phoenixes, if you will. And this is also reflected in the book you published, which is Phoenix Zone, where strength is born and resilience lives. So what do you hope readers will take away from reading your book? There's a lot that's covered in the book. Um, and what I really wanted to do was share some of the stories of survivors in the book, human and non-human survivors, with the permission of you know, the people I was talking about or the people taking care of the animals I was talking about, share their stories as lessons, if you will, for those of us who are you know, looking for lessons in resilience and how we can create a more resilient, more resilient communities, more resilient society. Um, and so, you know, many of the stories I shared are just absolutely inspiring. For example, there's stories of combat veterans who have been through war and wolves and wolf dogs who are recovering together at a California sanctuary. There's stories of Congolese women who are thriving in one of the most dangerous places on earth and empowering other women and girls. There's stories about abused chimpanzees who are used in laboratory research, who are finding peace and recovery in a Washington state sanctuary. And there's stories of refugees, um, political refugees and unhoused people seeking care at my medical clinic. Their stories over the years have completely inspired me. Um, but all of, all of these stories together really create a foundation for us to think about recovery, peace and hope um, and how we can be healthy and well. So that's one of the things that I hope that the book does. But the other thing that I really hope to do with the book is to show how the rights, health, and well-being of people, animals, and the planet is connected. Um, and ultimately, we are, you know, all vulnerable. We all have the potential to be healthy and well and resilient. But um, but to do that individually and collectively, we really need to look at ourselves um, and our homes and our communities, um, our countries um, and the world at large, and consider what we can each do to, um, to right some of the wrongs that we see and to change the world, especially for those who need it most. And so, you know, the book, the book looks at how we can do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, But we also it also looks at how we can do that on a more societal basis. And you know, and ultimately that laid the foundation for Phoenix Owns Initiative, the organization, to be able to look at some of these issues from the structural level, from the policy level, and that sort of thing. So 
the book hopes, you know, aims to do a lot, but hopefully the stories, the stories really in and of themselves um, provide so many lessons. I've, you know, I continue to learn from these lessons of, of survivors I've come to know over the years. They're really inspiring. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No they have so much to teach us. Sometimes we think, ah, no, my life is not good because I don't have these and this. And then when you be a dish about other people's stories, you say, wow, why am I complaining? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Dr. Hope, I find that when I was living in certain parts of the world, I noticed it is very rarely preventative medicine. And we are usually just carrying the symptoms rather than the root case. You mentioned before, it's not just for medicine, but for example, preventing violence before it occurs. So can you tell us more about your thoughts on preventative medicine? So you hit on a topic that I'm so passionate about, the the fact that so many problems in society and so many diseases and disorders, what we think about as disorders, are preventable. You know, we think that when it comes to diseases, for example, about half of diseases are preventable in ways that we understand. So there may be even more diseases that are preventable in ways that we don't yet understand. Unfortunately, if you look at investment, even financial investments in research, a lot of the investment in research is not on prevention research. For example, here in the US, if we look at preventable diseases, preventable deaths, early deaths, about 50% or more of early deaths can be attributed to the top 10 risk factors what scientists have identified as top 10 risk factors, which include things like diet and other behaviors. And despite that number, only about 30% or so, uh, maybe a little bit more of NIH research projects, National Institutes of Health Research Projects, actually focus on those areas of prevention. So there's a big divide in terms of what we're focusing on as a society, even in terms of financial investment and what we need to be doing, you know, to prevent diseases and problems before they occur. Similarly, we have a lot of evidence on how to prevent interpersonal violence, 
you know, other forms of violence in society, but we, we don't yet invest in some of the solutions that we've identified. And so my hope is that, you know, as we become more mature, as more people become interested in solving problems before they develop, that maybe, maybe we'll develop a a better research agenda um, for, you know, for example, in the US, and then, you know, other countries do a little bit of a better job at this, to be honest, than the US does. <laughs> but I'm, I'm encouraged by a few things. And I'll just mention one. In the US, the fastest growing field of medicine is lifestyle medicine. So in other words, what, you know, what do we do throughout our day? What do we eat? How do you know? How do we engage in activity? How do we sleep? How do we treat each other? How do we treat other beings? You know, yeah. all of these things. Um, that's the fastest growing field of medicine right now, and so that encourages me. As do the younger populations. I think children always encourage me. They always come up with with better ideas <laughs> than adults yeah. do. Yeah, I truly believe in prevention. It's so, it's so important. I mean, it's so important to children. It's so important as we develop, as we grow up, and then once we're adults and as we get older. I mean, it's important in every phase of life. You were quoted saying something that I find very powerful, which was, we need to push forward the idea that we can only have optimal health outcomes in humans and non-human beings through justice. So your organization is working on some new policy work. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So, you know, it helps to have a little bit more background, perhaps. Um, for decades, large industries, agriculture and development projects, and maybe, and and many attempts to address disease have have driven exploitation and disease and problems for some of the most vulnerable people and animals. And so we advocate for international, national, and local policy changes that require intergovernmental and government agencies to abide by principles that, that safeguard against exploitation of people, animals, and the environment. And we're especially focused on things like food policy, uh, medical research, uh, public health priorities, and international development. So for example, uh, one of the issues that we're working on now with a coalition of organizations around the world is a World Health Organization negotiated pandemic prevention treaty. Um, as you probably know, the COVID-19 pandemic has claimed Uh, millions of human lives and even more non-human lives. More than 10 million children have lost a parent or guardian during the pandemic. And the pandemic has really strained the healthcare system and you know, many healthcare professionals working in the healthcare system. We really can't afford another pandemic like this. And so that's one of the reasons we want to see a pandemic prevention treaty. And the WHO is already working on this, fortunately. But we want to make sure that any pandemic treaty focuses on primary prevention. And although we don't yet know the exact origin of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, 
what we do know is that there is this growing body of evidence that confirms that ecosystem destruction, biodiversity loss, encroachment into animal habitats, the commercial trade of wild animals, and intensive animal farming increase the risk for emerging infectious diseases outbreaks like COVID. Um, and about nine, uh, excuse me, 75% of emerging human infectious diseases originate in animals and, you know, based, based on the way that we treat other animals and interface with other animals. So that's one of the policy issues that we're working on. And we're, ma we're making progress together with other organizations. Um, we also work to influence implementation of the sustainable development goals so that they promote rights, health, and well-being justice um, for um, particularly vulnerable people and animals uh, around the globe. And then in other areas, we work to transform medical research so that it protects and benefits both people and animals. Fortunately, we now have real protections for people who are recruited to research studies, um, but those protections weren't always in place. Um, and there have been egregious research studies in the U.S. and around the globe. But in the 1970s here in the U.S., the public and then Congress pushed for real change, including special protections for vulnerable uh, individuals and populations like children. But today, some of the most problematic research involves animals, millions of animals, including dogs and cats, uh, monkeys and other small and large animals um, are used in research each year. Um, but a growing number of doctors like myself, scientists and policymakers question the validity and reliability of animal experiments, um, in addition to the ethical problems that animal research creates. And so fortunately, we, we have more ethical, patient, relevant tools that can be used to study disease um, and various therapeutic interventions. And so we at PZI believe that it's time to extend some of the key research protections that have been extended to humans to animals. So like protections for vulnerable populations like children, well, animals are also a vulnerable population. They can't give consent. Um, to, you know, to being involved in a research study. Um, and so really they need to be protected in, in many of the ways that, that children are. So we're very ambitious. We have an ambitious set of, of goals, uh, but, you know, we are already seeing change. And we believe that when we work with like-minded people, when we share strengths um, and work toward common goals, that we can really accomplish a lot for, for people, animals, and, you know, this planet that we're living on and, and depend on so much for our health and well-being. What a precious work you're doing. Who knows we can prevent another pandemic if we start changing things now. I hope so. Dr. Hope, is there a message you would like to leave our listeners today? I think the primary message I would leave listeners with is, one, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Um, and then also, don't forget that we can each make a difference uh, for other individuals that we come into contact with every day, whether we know them or not. Um, and for our communities um, and for society more generally. 
I completely believe that. I, I think about how my life has been touched by others um, and and the potential to touch other lives every day. So thank you, Lucia. Thank you for the opportunity um, to talk with you and to talk with your listeners and for all that you do to make the world a better place. Thank you. I appreciate you and I appreciate your work. And I also, I would like you could share your contacts. Absolutely. Well, you can certainly find me on social media, on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, as well as elsewhere. And then an the, um, easy way to contact me is through my website, hopefordosian.com. Um, and then you can also find more about our work at Phoenix Zones Initiative through phoenixzonesinitiative.org. Um, there you can learn more and reach out and get involved. And also, Dr. Hope, you will be featured on our magazine in February, the Relatable Voice magazine. I will be adding your website and our listeners will be able to see you. Also, to know a little bit more about your work, you are now part of our community and I'll be happy to visit you again in New Mexico or maybe Micronesia or maybe in Kenya, who knows? <laughs> Thank you, Lucia. We'd love to have you here. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.